Hey guys, my name is Erin Udell, and you may recognize my voice from some of the Coloradoans' other podcasts, People vs. Masters and The Way It Was, a podcast, which publishes new episodes the second Thursday of each month. We at The Coloradoan are super excited to introduce our newest and newsiest podcast, In the Know. Myself and two other reporters, Seja Hindi and Kevin Dugan, We'll be bringing you this weekly roundup of Northern Colorado news every Thursday morning. So again, I'm Erin Udell, and I cover arts, entertainment, and culture, all the fun stuff here in Fort Collins, and I've been at the Coloradoan for about five years. My name is Saja Hindi, and I cover public safety and local politics. I've been at the Coloradoan since about end of May. Um, So not very long, but I'm excited to be here. I've been in Northern Colorado for about five years and excited to bring you the news. I'm Kevin Dugan. I'm a senior reporter. Primarily, I cover local government, but I also get into other duties as assigned, uh, including columns. I've been here 21 years, and I'm looking forward to uh, learning about podcasts. And I'm excited to be your podcast spirit guide, Dugan. That's my official role here. We're excited to have you with us. So we're very excited to introduce In The Know. Uh, So without further ado, uh, here is our first episode. Hey guys, it's me again and I'll dig into the news in a second, I promise. But first, I just wanted to lay out how this works. So Kevin, Seja, and I will be switching off hosting duties. You have the pleasure of listening to my soothing voice this week. Next week, you'll hear from Seja, and the week after, from Kevin. We'll break down the show into three segments, the first of which rounds up the Coloradoans five most read and talked about stories of the week. Then I'll dive into the most popular story and give you guys a peek behind the curtain. This week, you'll be hearing from one of our sports writers, Kelly Lyle, who just wrote a fascinating column about the other side of Jim McElwain. Then I'll round things up with a look forward at what's coming out of the Colorado and newsroom later this week and next. So first up, our top five most read and engaged stories of the week. We have Kevin Lytle's article on CSU's attempts to keep fans in the stands at home football games. A flood of students took off before the end of CSU's win against Nevada, and the university is now pulling out all the stops to keep that from happening in the future. Then there's Alicia Stice's look at a Rocky Mountain Hyperloop and how the Colorado Department of Transportation is crunching the numbers on the proposed Colorado Loop. Casa Niedringhouse is behind some of our continued coverage of the tragic shooting that claimed three lives near CSU's campus on October 19th. Casa's most recent stories identified the third shooting victim and only survivor, 21-year-old Megan Durker. And a story published a week ago details what we currently know about the shooting. You can read all of the stories I just mentioned right now online at coloradoan.com. The most engaged and talked about story this week, though, is not an article. As I mentioned before, it's actually a column by our very own Kelly Lyle, who sat down with me recently to chat about how it came together. Here he is. 
All right, so I'm here with Kelly Lyle, who covers uh, CSU. What would you say your your title is? <laughs> Off to a great start. CSU beat writer, football, men's basketball primarily, but other CSU sports as well. So, um, um, so I obviously asked you to, you know, uh, come in here and do an interview with me because we want to dive into our week's biggest story and. I don't think it's any surprise that your column on Jim McElwain and his departure from the University of Florida um, was a big hit with our readers, and it's still being talked about uh, days later, and um, and so it's a it's a big story on our site right now. Um, so Jim McElwain had a weird month, <laughs> which culminated early this week with news of his ousting at University of Florida. Um, and he had taken the Florida job in 2014 after three seasons uh, with CSU. So there were obviously a lot of people here in Fort Collins who were following that news. So on Monday, you published your column, which pulled the curtain back a little bit on uh, what McElwain was like when he was here at CSU, um, how, behind, how beyond turning the program around, recruiting top players, and bringing this sort of winning attitude back to CSU's football program, uh, he also had this kind of underlying layer of arrogance um, that could rub people the wrong way. So could you possibly explain more about what your column was about and why you wrote it? Yeah, it was primarily the idea that ultimately what got him fired at Florida to an extent was this year's three and four record. But this is a guy that the last two years took Florida to the SEC East title. So he had been a wildly successful coach his first two years there really by most accounts he was the southeastern conference coach of the year his first year there in 2015 and yet here's an ad that's very quick to want to come in and fire a guy and it had way more to do clearly and the ad himself said so scott strickland had had a lot to do with what jim was like off the field that personality he openly criticized the facilities when he got to florida said they weren't good enough to compete for national championships because they needed yes he he, when he was and it so it harkened back to some of the stuff here um it it said that there was kind of said that some people in the athletic department there just really didn't like the guy that um and and so it just sort of rekindled all the things that we had heard sort of bits and pieces of during his time here. Again, it was all off the record stuff, you know, from a whole wide range of people, from high level administrators to janitors who clean the building type people. I don't want to get anybody in trouble by identifying him specifically, but there were little little things about his personality and how he kind of looked down upon those who he didn't see could actually help and advance him and his program. So if you were not somebody in a position that you could help him, he just, he didn't treat you very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as a reporter, I didn't see that because honestly, in his mind, I'm sure the media could advance his position. Mm-hmm. So he did treat us pretty well. I didn't have any personal experience of him being this person that I heard about that he could be behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. We didn't have enough access to the program to really get close enough to experience or see some of those exchanges firsthand. But we heard a lot about him, and after he left, you really heard a lot about him, especially 
after what he did to his coaching staff by not offering any of his assistants a position on his new staff at Florida. That's kind of unheard of in college football. Usually you kind of bring your staff with because these are the guys that helped you have that success. Um, So there was certainly some bitterness among that football staff because of that. Mm -hmm. What's it like um, to write a piece like this where you're talking more about someone's personality, you're picking up on on their quirks, um, as opposed to just a cut and cut and dry gamer that you guys usually put together um you know it's a it's a different style of writing it's different because as a, as reporters we're used to just being the flies on the wall and not being involved in the story but even are you drawing on your own experiences with him as well or to an, to an extent yes and and it is it's a it's a very different style of writing it's not it doesn't come as naturally to me obviously as just reporting the simple facts from a game or this or that at the same time i think it's very valuable because there is some insight that from the 3 years i worked with around that man and the program that i gained and so the idea of trying to share that these are the kinds of stories sports writers have these conversations among ourselves mm-hmm. when we're waiting in an interview room or whatever, um, but we usually haven't shared them with the public the way that we're starting to now. And that doesn't make it right or wrong to do that, but it's it's information that we've always known and we just were kind of uncomfortable maybe sharing it because it's not concrete it's not a a fact that you can verify you know a reader can't go well who said this about him who said you know Mm -hmm. you can't do it because it's not there there's no way to independently verify it without me compromising a whole lot of off-the-record sources who shared these experiences I will say since the story came out I've been told by a whole lot of folks that I hit the nail on the head quote. That exact term was used repeatedly yeah. by people that were very close to the program, including including some people that were paid staffers that would have been in positions that you wouldn't think he would have looked down upon mm-hmm. them. Well, that, that was going to be one of my questions because from I feel like right after your column posted, it was people were talking about it and it was I saw it kind of blowing up on social media. And that was going to be one of my questions. What were what were the responses that you saw? Um, speaking of social media and Twitter, <laughs> I saw some tweets about, you know, why write this column three years after McIlwain leaves CSU? So why was this week the time to write that? I, I think it's because it further helped explain what happened at Florida. It, it, the, the intent was not to go pile on a guy while he's down, which a lot of people accused me of. Uh, it wasn't a column that would have been appropriate to write really during his three years at CSU either because there were only very small bits and pieces off the record. It was really after he left and what he did to that and, and the way he treated that coaching staff that kind of a lot more of this stuff came out. And so I wouldn't have been comfortable reporting it sooner. And frankly, once he left did people in Fort Collins care? Not really. But now all of a sudden, people do care because of what happened at Florida. These personality traits are what really brought upon his firing as much, if not more, than the three and four record this season. So in that way, I think it was important to share it. You know, this is a man that accused, said he was receiving death threats, he and his family. He said that in a public news conference um, now a little over two weeks ago, he said he flat out said it. His athletic director's like, whoa, nobody ever told me this. His university president, nobody ever told me this. All of a sudden they're like, 
if he really is and we're not offering him protection, we could be liable if something happens, but he's never told us about this. And if he's making this up, then he's he's painting our entire fan base as a bunch of psycho crazy people that would actually make death threats to a coach. Um, so there was no, once he made that statement, there was no really turning back. And I think it was a case of maybe a little bit of that arrogance. He was trying to elicit some sympathy, getting him in trouble and in a position where he left almost the, his university with very little choice at that point but to move ahead and fire him. He lost a lot of money. He had a $12.9 million buyout if they were to fire him without cause. These statements, the university believed, gave them the ability to fire him with cause. They negotiated some sort of settlement in between. The number I keep seeing is $4 million. Um, so it cost him nine, almost $9 million to have made that statement that then he couldn't verify and he later sort of backed off of saying, yeah, well, maybe I embellished it a little bit. It's a, it's an interesting, interesting story. And those, the death threats piece was very interesting to me. It's just kind of crazy how it all unfolded right in front of us. Um, well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming in to the windowless video room of the Coloradoan and talking to me about sports. We always joke that I sit in the sports corner and I have for years, and you'd think that at some point I would have picked up some of the lingo, and I still, nope, that hasn't happened. So I, I meticulously wrote out my questions and agonized over them. And um, so I want to say thanks to Kelly for, again, coming in here and, and chatting with me about sports ball. As promised, I'll end this podcast with a look ahead of what's coming out of the Colorado and Newsroom this week and next. Today, you can head online to read Jacob Laxon's story on ethnic grocery stores in Fort Collins, which give local immigrants a taste of home and connection to their heritage. And later this week, look for Seja's piece on how, given the national opioid crisis, Northern Colorado is looking for its own solutions to the same problem. Election Day is also right around the corner here in Northern Colorado. We have a great story online right now that lays out how and where you can vote if you haven't already. We also have stories about issues that are on the ballot this election, including city-provided broadband service, a tax extension for the ranch, and the Pruder School District school board race. Head to coloradoin.com for our coverage of all things Northern Colorado. And listen in next Thursday for another weekly roundup with In the Know. Thanks for listening, guys.